millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, September 29th, 2023, the 982nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we talked about the fake GOP 
primary debates, and I explained at long length exactly what was fake about them and how many elements of the process intersecting these fake GOP primary debates are themselves fake, making it impossible for the GOP primary debates to be considered real and to be analyzed the way people typically have analyzed politics for the last few decades now. And my point in all of that was to make it clear that the only thing we're witnessing, we're not witnessing a primary, we're not witnessing a primary debate, we're not going to be witnessing a primary election or a general election unless our election processes get fixed. What we are witnessing is a public display, a charade that is meant to communicate to us some reason some way to believe that any one of those people or anyone else for that matter could defeat Donald Trump in a primary for the GOP nomination. Is it believable? Is there any chance of it being believable that someone might defeat Donald Trump for the GOP nomination for president? And then we will move on to a general election phase where they try to supply a believable story about how someone, Joe Biden, most likely might be able to defeat Donald Trump, that the American people might actually vote for that person rather than Donald Trump. What we are witnessing is a public display meant to convince us that it is possible someone could defeat Trump at either one of those stages. Now, I think most people understand this dynamic on some level, and most people believe that the news is fake, either in part or in full. But a lot of people don't think about what it means that the news is fake and what that means about what we are witnessing. Why is the news fake? What are they trying to do with fake news? They are trying to convince us that something is true about the world because otherwise we would never believe that thing. There is not information we could draw from the real world that would lead us to believe the conclusions required for their agenda to continue advancing. So fake news exists to convince us of things that simply are not true. And they will create events in the world and relay an intended meaning for us to then assume in order to get us to go along with their desired agenda. They are attempting to propagandize us. They are attempting to lead us into a false reality. And once our entire understanding of existence has been completely and totally inverted, we will choose to do the things they want us to do. We will do them proactively and we will convince others to do them. That is their perfect system. Then the propaganda is just there as window dressing to remind everybody, hey, you're on the right path. If enough people are experiencing that total inversion within the false reality, then the system basically runs itself. When that's not working, more propaganda is needed, more censorship is needed. And all of this together should tell you pretty clearly that the regime actually does need the belief and consent of the people in order to move forward. And there are spiritual explanations for this that get into Satanism and all sorts of other things like they are asking for consent. They are telling us what they are going to do so that when we do not say no, they are allowed to move forward with our permission. That makes us complicit in their evil. And if they can get us to check out and not care anymore, to embrace complete and total absence, 
telepathy, then they can do this with no end. Just continue telling us what they want us to do, and we will continue saying yes. Again, all of this should suggest to you that they actually do need and require this just based on the sheer amount of time and energy and resources they put in to, as communist Noam Chomsky calls it, manufacturing consent. Now, you could maybe argue that they don't actually need our consent. They could overpower us. They could use the military. They could use state violence, regime violence against the people and subdue the people. And it's possible that they have that level of control. And maybe at some point of desperation, they end up doing that. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that that's the most likely scenario. I personally would rule that out. That doesn't seem to map onto reality for me, but maybe I'm being naive, right? Maybe that is the thing. Assuming that's not the thing, though, then the thing is they need our consent and they are trying to get everyone on the same page, believing the same thing so that they can march forward easily with their agenda. They want us to enjoy it. They want us to take comfort in their prison. They want to convince us that permanent vacation is what we've always dreamed of. We can all check out, become part of the matrix, live in a little pod or a tiny little apartment, just plugged into the metaverse all day long, plugged into a feeding tube, or maybe they deliver us our rations each day and we just go along with it. All of the display, all of the show is to get us all on the same page, believing the same things. That's what all the effort is going to. That's what they need. So to tell us that Donald Trump has been defeated in a primary or in a general election, they need an explanation of how that could actually happen. I mentioned yesterday that the excuses in 2020 were that there was mail-in balloting, which allowed the turnout to increase by so much, even in the middle of a deadly pandemic, and that everybody hates Donald Trump, even though his vote total went up 20% between 2016 and 2020. So there were pretty clearly millions of people, more than 10 million people, who not only didn't hate him, they actually liked him more than they liked him four years ago, after seeing him be president. But the people who controlled culture, they hated Trump and they hated MAGA and they were happy to make it look to everyone like everyone hates Trump and MAGA. And with that, people went along with it. They accepted it and we are dealing with what we're dealing with. That's not going to work this time around and they are trying to figure out someone who can provide a believable story. Well, Jesse Waters of Fox News, after the debate the other night, ran a poll on X, formerly Twitter, and he asked simply who won the debate. And he put up four choices, DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, Trump. Here are the final results after nearly 77,000 votes. Now, this is not a scientific poll. As if that's a real thing, as if the word scientific means the poll is somehow accurate. And yes, I know it means that it comports to certain statistical guidelines. I understand what it means. Thank you very much. Here are the results. Nikki Haley, 4.3%. Vivek Ramaswamy, 12%. Ron DeSantis, 16.2%. 
And this is the X platform where Ron DeSantis has a very, very strong online presence. So Ron DeSantis, just right there, 16.2%. That is less than Vivek's 12 and Nikki Haley's 4.3 together. That's 16.3 to 16.2. So even with the other four candidates excluded from this poll, Ron does not have 50% of the non-Trump vote. Guess how much Donald Trump has? 67.5%. That is a four to one advantage on Ron. Ron DeSantis, according to these 77,000 users on the X platform, make of that what you will, but it's Jesse Waters. It's not like it's some MAGA superstar. It's a Fox News host. It's probably a decent summary of what Republican voters think about the debate. And by the way, Democrats jumping into this poll are not voting for Donald Trump and trying to make Donald Trump look good. So if there's outside interference, it's very unlikely that those outside people are voting for Donald Trump here. Donald Trump is winning debates he's not part of. And Ron DeSantis is losing these debates, not only to the other people on stage, but to a man that's not there. And now they're trying to tell us that if Trump was there, Ron would actually win. In fact, Ron would do so much better at the guy who's absolutely destroying him if they were just face to face. So I wanted to tag that on there. And I also wanted to read the statement from Trump's campaign senior advisor, Chris Lasavita. This is from Wednesday night. Tonight's GOP debate was as boring and inconsequential as the first debate, and nothing that was said will change the dynamics of the primary contest being dominated by President Trump. President Trump has a 40 or 50 point lead in the primary election and a 10 point lead over Joe Biden in the general election, and it's clear that President Trump alone can defeat Biden. The RNC should immediately put an end to any further primary debates so we can train our fire on crooked Joe Biden and quit wasting time and money that could be going to evicting Biden from the White House. What we are seeing here is the mass public support for Donald Trump growing. This is the consent of the American people being shown to the American people so that we can once again have a government that operates with the consent of the governed. It is going to be clear before Trump's public return is acknowledged that the country is fully behind it. Once it becomes clear that the public would not only accept a return of Donald Trump, but wants a return of Donald Trump to the point where it is 50% or 60% or 70%, which I believe it will be. I believe it already is, but I believe that will be very clear to everybody when people understand that our elections are stolen and they begin to understand the extent of corruption and the international criminal organization, this global mafia, this global communist regime that has infiltrated and taken over our country. When the people of this nation are demanding a return of Donald Trump and everyone is aware of it. They're not just going to be able to steal an election for Joe Biden and convince anybody that that's really true. 
And you can imagine at that point, they will try to delegitimize Donald Trump and perhaps imprison him and perhaps imprison everybody. Who knows how it's all going to end? But the point is, they need a story that the people will believe, and they are even losing the opportunity to create a believable narrative, not a convincing narrative, not one everyone agrees is true, just something where people can imagine, oh man. I guess it's possible that 40 or 50% of people really believe that that's what they need. And they're not even going to get there. So I was planning on spending most of the episode today talking about the so-called impeachment inquiry hearing that happened yesterday. And I am going to get to that in just a few minutes. But first I want to tie in a breaking news story of today which is the announcement of the death of California Senator Dianne Feinstein. Now, I say the announcement of the death because the death was announced today in public, but we are told it happened last night. Now, did it happen last night? That's the question. Could it have happened earlier without them telling us? Yes, that sure could have happened. Jimmy Carter's been in hospice for months now. We keep hearing he could go any day and he hasn't. Diane Feinstein hasn't really been seen in public for months now. She was wheeled through the Senate and could not answer questions. She was being told what to say. And I feel like that was probably at least two months ago, right? But Feinstein was wheeled through the Senate looking like an actual dead person. The skin was drooping off of her. And I'm not trying to be mean or mock the frailty of the elderly. She did not look completely alive. I don't know what else to say. I'm not saying that she was dead prior to yesterday or that I think she was dead prior to yesterday. I'm just saying it's possible. And there's no reason to believe that they are going to tell us the moment that it happens. They have no motivation for doing that. They will decide when they will announce the death of one of these figures. They can steal news cycles. They can take attention off stories they don't want people's eyes and ears on. And they can take advantage of these announcements relative to their own political calendars and agendas. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that in a second. But let's talk about Die Five for a little bit. This is the obituary featured today in NPR. Apparently, uh, this was already prepared because it's like, at least probably 2000 words long or something. It is a long obituary. And I just want to point to a couple of things mentioned in this article. The headline, by the way, is Diane Feinstein, longest serving woman in the Senate has died at 90. Diane Feinstein, who was first elected to the U.S. Senate from California in 1992 in a wave election known as the year of the woman and went on to champion gun control, has died at her home in Washington, D.C. She was 90 years old. In a statement released Friday morning, James Sauls, Feinstein's Senate chief of staff, confirmed her death. There are few women who can be called senator, chairman, mayor, wife, mom, and grandmother. Senator Feinstein was a force of nature who made an incredible impact on our country and her home state, Sauls wrote. She left a legacy that is undeniable and extraordinary. There's much to say about who she was and what she did. But for now, we are going to grieve the passing of our beloved boss, mentor and friend. 
And so let's just hit a few interesting pieces of her bio mentioned in this article. Feinstein's rise in politics began on November 27, 1978, when her city was jolted by two political assassinations at City Hall. As president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, she announced the news to a shocked press corps. As president of the Board of Supervisors, it is my duty to announce that both Mayor George Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed, Feinstein said in a firm but clearly stunned voice. Oh yes, clearly stunned. Feinstein went on to become interim mayor and went on to win election and later re-election, serving as mayor until 1988. So this is the closest thing I have ever heard to a Sarah Silverman joke. The Sarah Silverman joke is when life gives you AIDS, make lemonades and life does give you AIDS. That was the Sarah Silverman joke. And this is pretty much just like that. It's basically as close as you can come in real life. A gay activist whose history was totally revised in a biopic featuring obvious intelligence asset Sean Penn, who just happens to fly around the world meeting Volodymyr Zelensky and Hugo Chavez and El Chapo. That gay activist was assassinated and so was the mayor and DiFi became mayor for 10 glorious years. That is life giving you lemons and giving you AIDS and making lemonades. So congratulations, Diane Feinstein, for your intersection with these assassinations and how fortunate it became for you. Former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown, a longtime political ally of hers, and Kamala Harris's sexual mentor, <laughs> said Feinstein's handling of the assassinations crisis cemented her reputation. It was a dramatic demonstration of how in the face of total and complete disaster, somebody could stand up to settle the ship. After the City Hall assassinations, Mayor Feinstein signed a local gun control ordinance angering a fringe gun rights organization called the White Panthers. Collaborating with groups unhappy with the mayor's pro-growth, pro-business and other moderate policies, the White Panthers managed to collect enough signatures to place a recall of Feinstein on the ballot in 1983. The recall failed, catapulting Feinstein into easy re-election later that year. Oh, it's just like Gavin. The article claims that Dianne Feinstein governed from the center. In 1984, San Francisco hosted the Democratic National Convention. Feinstein landed on the cover of Time magazine and made the shortlist to be presidential nominee Walter Mondale's running mate. By then, the AIDS epidemic was ravaging her city. The federal government under President Ronald Reagan mostly ignored it. A young physician at San Francisco General Hospital, Paul Volberding, often briefed Mayor Feinstein on what was needed to fight the disease. I don't recall any moment in the early pandemic when I was told, no, we can't do that because we don't have the resources, recalled Voldberding, who became one of the pioneers in AIDS treatment. In fact, in the mid-1980s, San Francisco alone was spending more on AIDS than the entire federal government. And that really goes to her leadership and a great credit to her, Volberding said. And so I hope that people don't in the future 
kind of try to re-understand AIDS in light of the things we know now about COVID and, of course, about Anthony Fauci, who did the same thing he did during COVID back in that whole AIDS crisis, which is to say, create it out of falsified tests and then treat it with something that actually kills the supposed victims of the disease as the medical protocol for COVID actually did remdesivir and then a ventilator. Your ass is dead. Now, looking back on that gay virus back in the 1980s and thinking about that horrifying epidemic on some level being faked in the same ways that COVID was faked, that really begins to take on the look of a genocide of the gay population. And you might think, well, why would Democrats and the science be committing genocide against the gays? They love the gays. They talk about LGBTQIA++ and eventually pedophiles agendas all the time. They love the gays. And then you remember, hey, they say they love the blacks too, but what was that Tuskegee syphilis thing about? And how come COVID was said to kill more black people if it was engineered in a lab? And how come black people were first on the list to receive the toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them in 2021? It's almost like blacks and gays are just accessories that the regime uses in order to create believable stories to get the public to go along with whatever they're told. How did that state go Democrat? Oh, well, it's because they have these massive populations in the urban centers. Oh, okay, well, so why did they all vote Democrat? Oh, you know, it's because of all of the blacks and other minorities down there in the urban centers. They vote 95% Democrat and they do have all those kids, at least when we're not able to abort them. And that's how all these states have gone Democrat. Remember how Joe Biden outperformed Barack Obama among black Americans in the four urban environments necessary for Joe Biden to have won those four swing states? Yup, that was all because of urban blacks who just love the Democrat Party so much. Even though the Democrat Party does such terrible things to them, they can't figure it out. You know, black people. Is it really a stretch to parse what the central narrative on black Americans the way I just did? I don't think so. I think that is a pretty accurate interpretation of what they're telling us. And is it me making those factual claims sound bad? Or is it the factual claims that are actually bad and their whole narrative is about making that set of truly awful claims sound good? And speaking of the mistreatment of black Americans by the party of the Klan, the article immediately goes to how the Clarence Thomas sexual harassment hearings elevated Diane Feinstein. NPR writes, Feinstein used those widely criticized hearings as a springboard to the U.S. Senate. Many people took a look at that all-male judiciary committee and frankly, felt they badly botched the job, Feinstein said, campaigning in 1992. Her platform included writing a woman's right to an abortion into federal law. The Congress must pass it and the president must sign it. And if he vetoes it, we must override that veto, she said. Feinstein won the Senate seat, making history as part of the so-called year of the woman. 
In Washington, she advocated gun control, overcoming stiff odds to pass a federal ban on assault weapons in 1994. Later that year, she almost lost re-election, but she developed a reputation as a workhorse, someone who did her homework and wasn't afraid to rock the boat. What? And apparently she was just so good at her job that she kept getting elected for 30 more years, even as an 85 year old. And she got extremely wealthy over that time. Feinstein's net worth in 2018 was estimated around $88 million. In truth, it is probably much higher than that. Earlier this year in April, it was announced that Diane Feinstein's 36-acre, five-bedroom Aspen vacation home sold for $25 million all by itself. But of course, Diane Feinstein's wealth wasn't from political corruption, nor her 50-year career in politics and 30 years in the Senate. Of course not. It was because she married a billionaire a financier who surely also got rich in ways that had nothing to do with exploiting Diane Feinstein's political power or access. And her husband just so happened to be so politically tied in and dialed in that he ended up working on former President Barack Obama's Global Development Council. Oh, global development. Nothing will make you rich faster than that, except for maybe this. Rather than just explaining the whole thing, let's go immediately to the Snopes fact check. Won't even preface it with any claims. We will just read Snopes's fact check. And then whatever point of view you come away with at the end is just fine. This article exists to make sure you don't go around believing any conspiracy theories. So let's just read this article. I assume that it is totally competent at achieving its intended purpose, its desired outcome. By the end of this, we will not believe in any conspiracy theories. Snopes, did Senator Dianne Feinstein employ a Chinese spy? Claim, one of Senator Dianne Feinstein's staffers in California was a spy who reported sensitive information to Chinese contacts. Rating? Unproven. Unproven, according to Snopes. So it's not true. It's not false. It's just unproven. There's not enough evidence here for us to believe it for sure, but we might believe it a little bit if we come out thinking that maybe she employed a Chinese spy. Well... I mean, what are you going to do? Snope says it's unproven. So I guess that means it's sort of false. You're sort of a conspiracy theorist if you believe it. Now, this was written back in 2018. So it could be more proven now. Who knows? On July 27th, 2018, as part of a broader story about foreign espionage in Silicon Valley, Politico reported that a member of California Senator Dianne Feinstein's staff had been recruited by Chinese intelligence five years earlier and that this staffer, quote, reported back to China about local politics, end quote. The article cited, quote, former intelligence officials in noting that former intelligence officials told me that Chinese intelligence once recruited a staff member at a California office of U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein and the source reported back to China about local politics. 
A spokesperson for Feinstein said the office doesn't comment on personnel matters or investigations, but noted that no Feinstein staffer in California has ever had a security clearance. What does that have to do with the question? Okay, so let's look at what they're telling us. No conspiracy theories here. Former intelligence officials made this claim to the news. Politico reported it. Someone on the staff had been recruited by Chinese intelligence five years earlier. So not a Chinese spy when Feinstein hired this person. That is not Feinstein's fault, even if it turns out that this person is a spy. And they only report back on local politics. It's not like they're asking Diane Feinstein for specific information and then communicating it back. They're just there trying to figure out how politics work in San Fran. Or old Frisco, isn't that what you call it out there, San Franciscans? Oh, they're going to be so upset with me. And Chinese intelligence, they only recruited a staff member at a California office of Senator Feinstein. So it's like not even her main office. Feinstein probably never even sees this person. And the person never had a security clearance. So there's no way that they could have accessed any of Diane Feinstein's super secure documents. And there's no way that Feinstein ever would have shared any secrets with this Chinese spy who's not a spy, just a staffer recruited by Chinese intelligence. The staffer was not a Chinese spy when Diane Feinstein hired the staffer. The staffer was recruited later and only reported about local politics, never had a security clearance. So even if this person was a Chinese spy, it's not Diane Feinstein's fault. And there's no way you can say anything bad happened. The revelation was significant in part because Feinstein was chair of the powerful Senate Select Committee on Intelligence at the time. Well, I'll be damned. How does something like that happen? Huh? Shucks. I guess no one vetted Dianne Feinstein or any of the people around her when Dianne Feinstein was on the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. That's just wild. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, the staff member in question served as Feinstein's driver and gopher in her Bay Area office and was a liaison to the local Asian American community. Well, so now these are some more details over and above that last thing we heard. We heard that person was just a staffer in Feinstein's office, but it turns out the staffer is Feinstein's driver and gopher. So Feinstein, when she's traveling around San Francisco, is traveling around San Francisco with this person. This person knows all the meetings this very powerful senator on the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence is going to because this person, this Chinese spy, drives her to them. And this person liaises with the San Francisco Asian American community, which we know cannot be themselves Chinese spies. So this person just goes and talks on behalf of Senator Feinstein to these members of the Asian American community in San Francisco. And San Francisco is not where the Chinese Communist Party bases its infiltration into the United States. That just couldn't be the case. And quoting the San Francisco Chronicle, Snopes inserts this passage. Besides driving her around when she was in California, the staffer also served as gopher in her San Francisco office and as a liaison to the Asian American community, even attending Chinese consulate functions for the senator. <laughs> wow. What a staffer. 
this person must be. Probably one employee of the month every single month. Diane Feinstein's office has an employee of the month wall, and it is just pictures of this Chinese staffer over and over and over and over and over again on the wall for 20 years, employee of the month. Really incredible stuff. According to our source, the intrigue started years earlier when the staffer took a trip to Asia to visit relatives and was befriended by someone who continued to stay in touch with him on subsequent visits. That someone was connected with the People's Republic of China's Ministry of State Security. Oh, but how was the staffer supposed to know? And how was DiFi supposed to know? No one could ever expect them to know. He didn't even know what was happening, that he was being recruited, says our source. He just thought it was some friend. Ah, shucks. And no one who vets the people around the senators on the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence was able to figure any of this out or put any of it together. Gosh, what are the chances? On 6 August 2018, Feinstein issued a statement on the matter, saying that several years earlier she had been informed by the FBI about the possible recruitment efforts targeting one of her staff and had removed the individual when she learned the details. Five years ago, the FBI informed me it had concerns that an administrative member of my California staff was potentially being sought out by the Chinese government to provide information. He was not a mole or a spy, but someone who a foreign intelligence service thought it could recruit. The FBI reviewed the matter, shared its concerns with me, and the employee immediately left my office. He never had access to classified or sensitive information or legislative matters. The FBI never informed me of any compromise of national security information. So again, Feinstein did absolutely nothing wrong. And as soon as she figured out this person was a Chinese spy, she immediately asked that he resign or she. Some partisan news outlets such as Fox News, as well as President Trump himself, gave the controversy oxygen by suggesting that the mainstream media's lack of interest in the story exposed a partisan double standard in terms of how foreign meddling in political affairs is handled both by the media and by law enforcement. That argument holds that instead of providing Feinstein with a defensive briefing about the matter, the FBI should have opened an investigation into Feinstein comparable to the current investigation involving President Trump and his campaign's political contacts with Russian operatives. This story has renewed questions among President Trump's allies about the Bureau's approach in 2016 to suspicions regarding his campaign aides' potential Russian ties. In one case, the FBI briefed Feinstein. In the other, the Bureau proceeded to use an informant and surveillance warrants to get information on Trump campaign figures. It is difficult to address the merits of this kind of argument based on what is publicly known about the case. The FBI has not commented on it. And according to Feinstein, no risk of the staff member in questions transferring sensitive material ever existed, as no one on the senator's California staff possessed security clearances necessary to have access to that kind of information in the first place, except, of course, for Dianne Feinstein, the senator on the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, who was driving around with this person all over San Francisco, and this person was attending Chinese consulate meetings for her. 
while reporting on this topic, vaguely suggested that the staff member, quote, reported back to China about local politics. Oh, yes, it is vague. It is uncertain whether this staff member ever provided the Chinese anything of value or even whether efforts to recruit this individual were even successful. The FBI apparently concluded the driver hadn't revealed anything of substance. They interviewed him and Diane forced him to retire. And that was the end of it, says our source. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. I have read to you the entirety of a Snopes fact check. Now it is impossible for you to have any conspiracy theories about this. Snopes has convinced us beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is unproven. But of course, they actually didn't disprove anything there. They certainly did not disprove that this staffer was a Chinese spy. This staffer was definitely a Chinese spy and is clearly a Chinese spy. And if you think this is something other than a limited hangout, the mainstream media's reporting and all of these fact checks, if you think that is something other than a limited hangout, I don't know what to tell you. That is insane. They are admitting as little as possible because they cannot avoid the entire situation. And what they are admitting actually does confirm that this person is almost definitely a Chinese spy. This is the softest possible version of this story, and it is already more than enough to go on. We know that Chinese spies have infiltrated our corporations. We know they've infiltrated our academic community. We know they are stealing our technology, our patents, our research. We know that they have infiltrated our politics. The World Economic Forum brags about infiltrating our politics to the extent that the Chinese Communist Party represents the evil twin faction in China as part of the global regime. All of that then becomes the same thing. And that is without mentioning the fact that Eric Swalwell was himself sleeping with a Chinese spy who was in his office. This is actually exactly how Chinese spies infiltrate our government. And it sure does happen a lot in California, doesn't it? So it has now been announced that Diane Feinstein at some point yesterday or prior expired. We are left to assume this is just a factor of her advanced age. And the question then becomes, as the front page on Fox News's website shouts to the world, who will replace Dianne Feinstein? The Fox headline, all eyes on California Governor Newsom to quickly name temporary Senate replacement for Feinstein. And the article mentions three possible replacements, Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, and Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Back to that NPR article, they have this to say about the replacement. Earlier this month, Governor Newsom reiterated on NBC his pledge to appoint a black woman to fill the Senate seat if a vacancy occurred. However, Newsom added that he would not appoint anyone currently running for the seat and would seek a placeholder until voters could decide next year. House Democratic reps Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff are declared candidates. Lee is a black woman, but has publicly rejected suggestions she would serve as a placeholder. 
So who will Gavin Newsom appoint? Let's assume that he means what he's saying, that he intends to appoint a black woman. Again, they have known this would be coming at some point. They have certainly planned for this and the political agenda will play out along a timeline of their choosing that they have already chosen. Now, for whatever reason, and maybe there's some justification, but for whatever reason, people have immediately gravitated to the idea that the replacement will be Kamala Harris, that Kamala Harris will step down from her role as fake vice president and instead be inserted into the role of unelected senator of California. She was senator once. She could be senator again as this placeholder. But why would Kamala Harris want to be a placeholder in California? unless she was going to run for reelection and use her incumbency and her experience as vice president to explain to the country that California voters wanted more Kamala. The assumption then is that perhaps Michelle Obama would be nominated by the fake president, Joe Biden, as the new fake vice president, and then the illegitimate Senate would have to confirm her to that position. Or maybe it would be someone like Hillary Clinton appointed as vice president to cover up Kamala's absence. But I personally do not think Kamala will be appointed senator. I think that perhaps Gavin will appoint Big Mike, Michelle Obama. And I'll tell you why I think this. The other day when I was talking about Robert Menendez and tweeting about it, someone responded that the Obamas had purchased property in New Jersey and that it was possible that they were expecting Phil Murphy to place Michelle Obama in that position as New Jersey senator when Menendez stepped down. But Menendez says he's not stepping down, and it's possible that the regime has understood and accepted that Menendez will not be stepping down. And so maybe now is when they use this Dianne Feinstein card. They announced to the world that Feinstein has expired, and then they have Gavin Newsom place Big Mike in a Senate seat in California. Have the Obamas bought property in California? I suspect that they must have. Now, I don't know that I'm right about any of this. This is just speculation because that's what we're doing. We're speculating on who will replace Dianne Feinstein as senator from California. Now, do they plan this stuff out in advance? Yes, of course they do. Do they know that someone has to be a quote unquote resident of a state in order to be appointed a senator? Yes, of course they do. If I am wrong about Big Mike being the choice, it will not be because the regime failed to anticipate that they would need to make a claim at least that they lived there. They have one of their surrogate daughters going to college at USC, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have this headline from Town and Country magazine. The Obamas are buying a house in California. According to the New York Post, the Obamas have reportedly purchased a house in Rancho Mirage, California, the same town to which President Gerald Ford retired after he left the White House. And that is near Palm Springs out in the desert, a couple hours east of Los Angeles. So can the Obamas claim residency in California? You better damn well believe they can if they want to, and no one's going to stop them because the regime doesn't care about this sort of thing. Hillary Clinton claimed to be from New York and became a senator of New York. 
Are we really going to pretend that the Obamas can't get this job done in California? So they got a California property. They got a New Jersey property. They're not going to get the open Senate seat in New Jersey, or at least it sure doesn't seem like it. But now they have the possibility in California. And what do they have lining up? Well, they have an opportunity for Gavin Newsom to say he's appointing a black woman. Now, is that really true? Who knows? But it counts for the general public. So he's nominating a black woman in Michelle Obama. He wants a placeholder until the voters can decide next year. The voters are going to decide in the place with millions and millions of inactive and ineligible voters on California's rolls. And they have drop boxes and universal mail-in that they put people on without those people's consent, including this guy right here. And they have the opportunity for you to just print your ballots out at home and then you just throw them in one of Mark Zuckerberg's drop boxes and boom, you call it an election. And sometimes it takes days or weeks to figure out who won. And sometimes you have Gavin Newsom's recall election and you know that the governor who was just recalled is actually confirmed by a two to one margin before the election even ends. We don't need to count these votes. We know that California voters love Gavin Newsom, despite the fact that they collected thousands and thousands of signatures for his recall. But yes, yes, California voters will certainly be the ones to decide who the California senator is in 2024. But until then, we need a black woman placeholder or at least someone in there who claims to be a black woman. So then you've got Michelle Obama. You can elevate Michelle Obama, allow Michelle Obama to run as the California senator. Then maybe you drop Biden out, throw Michelle Obama in his place running for president next year. And then we can hear all the hopey changey stuff and how big Mike will reunify the United States of America. She has been the hope and the change we've all been waiting for. The first black woman president. And yes, it would be hilarious if the first black woman president was actually a black man. So many options. We just don't know what could happen. But I will say this. If Gavin were to appoint Kamala Harris as senator and Kamala was going to step down saying that that's where she really belonged, etc. The Senate would have to confirm whoever would be nominated as vice president. And in the meantime, the succession after Joe Biden, assuming all of this is legitimate, and of course, none of it is the succession after Joe Biden would go to Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. So I think it would be a very, very dangerous move to take Kamala out of that slot, because if no one gets confirmed as vice president on a short timeline, then you've got ancient Joe Biden. And if something happens to him, it goes to Kevin McCarthy. What about the 25th Amendment at that point? And hey, how about this? There may well be at some point over the next few months, a motion to vacate the chair which could potentially cost Kevin McCarthy his speakership. And in order to find a new Speaker of the House, Republicans might have to compromise with Democrats to put someone up. Maybe it's Kevin McCarthy or maybe someone else. But there also exists the possibility that another figure could end up inhabiting that position. And maybe that's Matt Gates or somebody who's already in the House, or maybe it's somebody else like Donald Trump. And wouldn't that be hilarious if Trump ended up as Speaker of the House 
after a motion to vacate, while Kamala had already been shipped back to California and Joe Biden was sitting there as fake president with a Donald Trump speaker of the house and no one in between. That would be a great time for the 25th Amendment to come back and bite Joe Biden. So just some fun with the speculation. Do I know that any of those things will happen? No, I absolutely don't. And neither does anybody else. So if somebody tells you that they know what's going to happen, that person's probably lying. So we have California, a state that is totally under the control of the global communist regime, a state whose politicians are totally enthralled to that global regime and to money coming directly out of communist China. And from that, let's segue to the demented, degenerate fake president who himself is fully compromised by the Chinese Communist Party and the first impeachment inquiry hearing about that corruption. Now, a lot of the reaction to that hearing yesterday was fairly disappointed, fairly negative, and that is probably well-deserved if that hearing were real. And I know it's annoying when I do this, but you gotta start thinking about it in all of these scenarios. Is what we're being shown representative of a logical and coherent reality that is playing out in a real way in the real world? Or are we being shown something that is meant to capture our attention and belief? And quite often when you ask yourself that question, you will find out it is the second one. Now, it is worth analyzing the situation in both ways so that you are mentally prepared for how things might evolve in these situations. But if you want to think about what the future is going to actually be like in the real world, then you need to be interfacing with the version that best represents the real world. And that version is that thing's fake. And so I'm going to try to explain why I think so, and I'll try to do it in less than an hour and a half, which is usually about how long it takes me to explain that something is fake without people wanting to kill me. So we have an impeachment inquiry hearing. This is not any part of a formal impeachment. This is the part of the impeachment inquiry where we are just beginning to investigate the claims. This is a very early display of what evidence might lead the country and this Congress to the point where they would then consider and vote on undertaking actual impeachment proceedings. Now, I've said for quite a long time that Joe Biden should not be impeached. Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. The way to remove Joe Biden from the office of fake president is by removing him from the office on the basis of the fact that he isn't there legitimately in the first place. All that requires is mass public understanding that our elections are not legitimate and that there's no way to prove in the world that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes or that the 2020 election was in any way certifiable in enough states that could have possibly produced that win for the fake president, Joe Biden. When the country understands that and understands that our country has, in fact, been usurped on behalf of a global regime, they are not going to want Joe Biden to remain in that office and they will not need to watch an impeachment proceeding about his son's laptop in order to want to get rid of him. 
Now, I think the people who don't understand that already are in a small and dwindling minority, but they nonetheless hold a good bit of cultural power, some actual power, a lot of wealth and a lot of control over the public narrative. But at some point, many of those people are going to feel the way that we felt when we were waking up and we are going to be mad at the people who betrayed us and want something done about it. And at that point, removing Joe Biden from the office of fake president, I doubt will be all that hard. If we were trying to remove him through impeachment and we were trying to get the country on the side of the Republicans, yesterday would have in fact been an absolutely terrible move forward that might have damaged the process in its entirety and make it so that it could not move forward. That is how ineffective, generally speaking, the hearings were yesterday. Now, I'm not saying that no Republican congressman did a good job or had a good line of questioning or that there were moments that did not make it clear that the Biden family was deeply involved in foreign corruption and Joe Biden was truly selling his office. We can believe that there were moments that effectively relayed all that messaging, but still the event overall was not our best foot forward. Democrats went out there and made their TV moments and they made it about Donald Trump and they made Joe Biden try to sound like the nicest man ever. And that didn't really work for them yesterday. But the point is their mission was to claim to the country that there was no evidence of anything. They were going to say that no matter what. And they all did say that there's no evidence linking Joe Biden to any of this. No evidence, no evidence, no evidence. We are three years into hearing the evidence of all of this stuff. We had the Johnson and Grassley report in the Senate in 2020. We had the release of the Biden laptop in 2020. We are less than a month away, like two and a half weeks away from the three-year anniversary of that and the censoring of the New York Post and the removal of all this information from Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, the cover-up of the Biden laptop. We are almost three years from the anniversary of Tony Bobolinsky and Tucker Carlson. It is three years of being presented with the evidence from the laptop, evidence of Biden's corruption, the real-world evidence, what people see in the real world as it emerges of life under the fake president, Joe Biden. People have lost their faith in Joe Biden. They have lost their faith that he tells them the truth on anything. And part of that is about the corruption and about the Hunter Biden laptop, because what they know is that Joe Biden told them from the debate stage that he has never had conversations about his son's business dealings. All of that is obviously completely preposterous by this point. So when Democrats go out there and say no evidence, it just doesn't have that ring it used to have. Now, no one captured this better than Dan Bongino did yesterday on Twitter. And I was saying on Badlands Daily this morning that this is one of the best things about Bongino is he always knows the whole story and he always puts it very succinctly. He is able to deliver the points, the broad view the 40,000 foot view. And of course, he's very good at substantiating all of that. But the point is that he's able to communicate a lot in a short amount of time because he understands all the material in full. And so he's able to give the brief version. This is how he put it on X, formerly Twitter. The Democrats are correct. Outside of the bank records, 
the suspicious activity reports, the wire transfers, the Prevot bank transactions, the LLCs, the texts, the emails, the WhatsApp messages, the photos of Joe with Hunter's business partners, the voicemails to his son, the two business partners saying Joe is the brand and the big guy and the chairman, the two whistleblowers testimony, the recorded phone calls between Biden and Poroshenko, the video of Joe Biden bragging about firing the Ukrainian prosecutor and Hunter's statements that he's giving his dad half his income. There is no evidence of Joe Biden being involved. Good call, guys. And so that's what we heard yesterday. We heard it during the proceedings, during the hearing. There is absolutely no evidence tying Joe Biden to any of this. There is no evidence. There is no evidence. There is no evidence. There is no evidence. That is what they went out and told the country. Do you think that the country believes there is no evidence that Joe Biden is corrupt? More than 60% of the country, according to Rasmussen polls, who are basically the only people who ever ask this, and the trend has always been in our direction on this, but well over 60% of people, according to those polls, think that the 2020 election was decided, at least in part, by cheating. Do you really think that over 60% of the American public could hold a view like that and also think that Joe Biden's not corrupt? Well, no, that's not possible. If you believe that Joe Biden stole the election, you damn sure believe that the claims about Joe Biden's corruption are true. So we can be pretty sure that well over 60% of the country understands that Joe Biden is corrupt. And it turns out that even if you look in leftist rags over the last 50 years, you can find them complaining about Joe Biden's corruption and the crime bills he authored. It's not hard to find that Joe Biden was, in fact, mentored in politics for three decades by a Klan leader. Joe Biden made it impossible to declare bankruptcy on college loans. Joe Biden has been a servant of the corporations based in Delaware for decades. This is who Joe Biden is. The family business is political corruption. None of them have any skills at all, and they're worth tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. How is it possible? Well, you're selling political access and nothing could possibly be more obvious. So when Democrats and the media are out there saying no evidence, no evidence, no evidence, does it convince people that there really is no evidence or does it convince them that the media and the Democrats are lying? And I would suggest to you, it's pretty obviously the second one. The more they do that, the worse it becomes. We see this pattern repeat with just about everything these days. Whatever they try comes right back at them and hits them so much harder than they could have ever hoped to hit their political opposition and their enemies. We are in a period of mass public awakening and mass public skepticism about all the claims being made by people the public understands to be liars. The people they understand have lied to them. They're not just going to believe Democrats in the media when they scream, no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. These same people have said no evidence, no evidence, no evidence about the harms of the COVID vaccines. Do people believe there's no evidence of that? Of course they don't. They say the same thing about election fraud. And we already know that more than 50% of the people believe that cheating affected the outcome of the 2020 election. So the no evidence claim and the big lie claim that Friar Cuck, Jamie Raskin, actually repeated in the hearing yesterday, he called all of it a big lie. Those claims fall on deaf ears now. 
The American public does not want to hear no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. But that is all they heard yesterday about a subject for which they know beyond doubt there is massive and overwhelming evidence. They are also aware of the evidence, even the ones who will not admit there is evidence or that the evidence constitutes evidence. They're still aware of the evidence. They are aware that evidence does exist despite their denials. And no matter how hard they deny that there is evidence, they don't want the important people, the people on TV, in the media and Democrat politicians, the people who are able to communicate to the public. These people don't want those people yelling, no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. They want those people actually defeating the claims that are being made so that they can feel comfortable that the public will accept that this stuff's not evidence. But that's not what they got. What they got was those people in power with public influence saying no evidence, no evidence, no evidence to a public that knows there is evidence that's not going to make people disbelieve the claims about the Bidens. It's going to further erode the trust people have in those who are telling them there is no evidence, the media and those powerful Democrats. It might be very annoying from our perspective to watch these hearings and to watch the coverage of these hearings and start the day thinking that some dramatic revelations are going to come out that are finally going to prove us correct to our friends and our family members, the people who still won't wake up, the people who still think that we are crazy and conspiracy theorists. You want that one big piece of evidence that you can take to them and say, see, I told you this is indisputable. Now you have to believe me and understand I'm not insane. Sorry, you didn't get that. If you're still putting those rugs under your own feet so that they can later be pulled out by someone else. You're crazy. You got to stop doing it. Everybody does it for a little while. I did it for a little while. Then I began to understand. I'm never going to get that moment. The moment will come in another way if it comes at all, but I'm not going to sit around waiting for that moment. And if those people still think I'm crazy after three years, it's their problem. And it says something about our relationship and we should heed those signals at this point if we haven't started doing it yet. But we can't expect that there is going to be that one moment with that one piece of information that you can finally take and say, hey, I'm not crazy. You have to believe me now. They're not going to believe you anyway. It's sad and unfortunate and frustrating, but it's time to accept what the thing actually is. If we are waiting for those moments, we will continually be disappointed. The choice is to stop waiting for those moments and understand that's not how it's going to work. But if you were watching yesterday with that in mind, you were certainly disappointed. Yesterday should not disappoint you. It is good that the media and Democrats are out there screaming, no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. And here's why. Think about the other major takeaway from yesterday, and that is the witnesses and what happened with the witnesses. The Democrats were allowed to bring their own witness, Michael Gerhardt. And he told them that impeachment was a very solemn responsibility. And this is one of the most important things we could ever do in our democracy and blah, 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 blah. Years before, when Donald Trump was the subject of impeachment, Michael Gerhardt thought it would be a moral failing not to impeach Donald Trump on the information that they had, which turned out to be absolutely nothing. None of the witnesses yesterday had a major impact. 
Gerhardt was there to invalidate the entire proceeding. Jonathan Turley is just a guy in the middle. The Democrats tried to disqualify the Republican witnesses using personal claims and personal attacks. Much of that fell flat, but the truth is it doesn't matter. Impeachment is not the goal. As I have said countless times, as I have said since the beginning of Joe Biden's fake presidency, when everyone was calling for impeachment at every point at which people have called for impeachment, I have said impeachment is not the way to handle a fake president. The fake president must be removed due to his illegitimacy, not through an impeachment that assumes he is a legitimate president. If I am right about that, and I certainly believe that I am, we cannot have an impeachment. We will never have that full impeachment thing that we are now used to seeing as an impeachment on television. That will not happen. And we are not aiming for that. And if we are not aiming for that, then why are we doing an impeachment inquiry hearing? Well, that is to tell the public certain things. So the public has some awareness of these things. The networks did not cover that hearing yesterday. They don't want the public to even understand this is happening. This is a TV show being used to convince people of certain things about Biden family corruption, and it is being used to discredit Democrats and the doubters of Biden family corruption in exactly the ways I just described. They just pretended yesterday to the world like the entire case had been made against the Bidens and there was no evidence. They screamed no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. The party that screamed no evidence, like the boy who cried wolf, how many times can they scream no evidence and be proven wrong before people stop listening to them altogether? And that is exactly what is happening. Now, if you know that they are going to attempt a tactic that worked for them in the past and works less and less as time goes on, would you give them the opportunity to do that and show everybody once more how dishonest and corrupt these people are? I believe you would, and I believe you would have an event kind of like yesterday where the witnesses are pretty milk toast and the entire proceeding is pretty milk toast. You have 47, something like that, different people asking questions of these witnesses five minutes each for like 40 plus people. I, I really think it was like 40 plus people, whatever it was. It was a preposterous number, a number that is way too large. The entire hearing was scattershot. It was all over the place. You would have a couple of interesting questions, and then you would have a Democrat go off about Donald Trump or about how Joe Biden was just a father who loved his son too much. And Representative Krishnamurthy actually tried to accuse Jonathan Turley of defending pedophiles and claim that Professor Turley's testimony could not be trusted at all because he was totally discredited having defended a pedophile. Now, was that true? No, of course it was not true. Turley was making a legal argument in the abstract about the behavior of someone who also happened to be a pedophile. He was discussing legal theory. That is not the same as defending a pedophile, and it is certainly not the sort of thing that would discredit his testimony otherwise. Now, Jonathan Turley's testimony can be discredited in other ways. Like, for instance, he doesn't know the material all that well, but he was there to talk about the constitutional legitimacy of the impeachment hearing and the inquiry, etc. Regardless, Krishnamurthy was just trying to sully the good name of Jonathan Turley with an extraordinarily dishonest and absolutely ridiculous claim that probably wasn't even believed by anyone watching. 
Now, if you really wanted to relay the evidence of Biden family corruption, yesterday was not the format and virtually anyone would know that. Now, there is one view that these people are just incompetent. The Republicans leading this effort are just incompetent. They don't understand how to operate a public narrative. The Democrats do. That's why the Democrats are effective when they have these sorts of political events. And it was a failure due to Republican incompetence. Now, there's another story being pushed by people like Steve Bannon, for instance, people who are communicating the public frustration of MAGA and of the American people. He is the voice of people who are becoming angry with all of this and needing to transfer that anger into information and action. And so he is helping people understand a part of what's going on. And he is relaying that particular narrative from that particular perspective. It is a perspective among other perspectives. It is a valid perspective and one people should understand. But the claim that he was making was that all of this was being done in such poor fashion because they weren't really serious about impeaching Joe Biden. What they wanted to do was give MAGA a shiny toy to distract them, convince MAGA that what everyone needs is the impeachment of Joe Biden. And that can't happen if the government gets shut down. So if you want to impeach Joe Biden, you're going to have to allow us to increase government spending and keep the government open. We're going to need this new spending bill, this new continuing resolution. And then this winter, we will pass an omnibus spending bill, put all of the spending we want into that one bill, pass that one thing on an up or down vote. And then all of the spending, none of it actually has to be debated in Congress, Congressmen don't have to put their name to any particular spending. It's just the whole thing. Yes or no. Well, I had to say yes, because we need a budget. It's my responsibility to vote for a budget for the American people. Now, is this budget the one that I would have selected? No, but I did have to vote for it. We've all heard those political explanations before. That is what they are driving toward. And they figure they can get that while telling MAGA, this is all necessary if you want to impeach Joe Biden. I know you want to impeach Joe Biden. That means you're going to have to give us this thing. So there is that perspective out there that all of this is being done for that. It is a charade, but it's a charade with the purpose of keeping the money flowing indefinitely. We'll just keep on printing money and keep pinning it to the backs of the American workers. The full faith and credit of the United States of America, that is the committed labor, the indentured servitude of the American worker. That is the full faith and credit of the United States. We're going to print more money. We're just going to invent more money out of thin air from the central bankers, a new infusion of regime bucks, and we will just pay off all our friends, including those overseas. We are now being told by American media that this government shutdown is going to endanger Ukrainians and that the pain is already being felt by our Ukrainian brethren. Oh no, but we need this money. We need this money to keep flowing. And if MAGA is satisfied to let us keep this money flowing, if we give them this impeachment inquiry hearing, well then perfect. We don't want to cause any actual damage to Joe Biden. We don't want to cause any actual damage to the regime. All we want to do is give them the shiny object that will keep their attention as we get through the holidays. We will get this omnibus passed. And then next year, we will have all the money we need to do whatever we want to do. All the money we need 
to try to take down Donald Trump. Now, I don't agree with that interpretation, but I think that they are right about these hearings being fake. I just think that it's for another reason. I think that it's because they are forcing the Democrats and the media to expend all their ammo, all their no evidence, no evidence claims so that the American public understands there really is evidence. Why do they keep saying no evidence when there is evidence and they haven't even got all the evidence yet? Now, the evidence that's out there is overwhelming. And all you need to do is open the report on the Biden laptop by Marco Polo. It's all available online. Just type in here's hunter.com and it will take you to the Marco Polo website. But that's not all. They also have the suspicious activity reports from the banks. These are records of financial transactions. They have all the evidence that Bongino listed. All of that is available to the American public. Anyone who is not convinced by that much overwhelming evidence simply does not want to be convinced. They are in denial. They will remain in denial. We do not need those people on our side. There is no use expending your energy trying to convince them. The evidence is out there. If someone asks, where's the evidence? You simply say it's everywhere. Go ahead and look at it. I'm not going to spend my time showing you evidence that is easily accessible to you. If you wanted to see the evidence, you would simply look for yourself. You are now asking me to show you where the evidence is that you could find for yourself. So what it really feels like is you're challenging me so that you can say at some point that I actually don't understand the evidence or where it is that I'm the stupid one, the crazy one, the conspiracy theorist. You will find some way to try to discredit me as a person and assume and think that I will assume that that means the evidence somehow isn't real. But the evidence is real and it's easy to find. And anyone who wants to examine the evidence can. If someone is not examining the evidence as their first step after asking, where's the evidence that they haven't looked for, you can assume that they are lying about their motivations. If you engage with that person and take them seriously at that point, you're making a mistake and you are wasting your time. That is why you do not see me doing that on Twitter. When somebody asks me, where's the evidence? I make fun of them. Why? Because I know they're lying. I am not going to take somebody seriously when they are pretending that I don't know what I'm talking about, even though they have never come across anything I have ever said until 30 seconds before they wrote that message. Everyone needs to stop getting tricked by this stuff. You do not have a responsibility to show strangers on the internet that you are a serious person. They are not serious people. If they wanted to know what you know, they would ask you questions and listen to your answers and engage with what you're actually saying rather than immediately tell you that you don't know what you're talking about or that's not true or that's been debunked or some other moronic thing that is bound to flow out of their mouths right after. Stop getting tricked by this. So if all of that display yesterday is not to distract MAGA with a shiny object while the money keeps flowing, and it's actually just to make the regime expend energy and resources saying no evidence, no evidence, while they deteriorate the public's trust in them, what incentive would you have to believe my explanation as true? And I would suggest to you that it is the witnesses who were called. The big guns were not out yesterday for that hearing 
at all. That hearing was not, therefore, meant to convince America beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joe Biden really is corrupt. They were not going to expend their big witnesses on that charade. That charade was there to watch the Democrats and the media lie to America and America witnessed all of it. I know that not all of America is tuning into this and certainly not all of them will take these things away after watching this. That is not my point. The point is that the claim no evidence is being deteriorated systematically to the point where it will not work anymore. Now, when people are saying no evidence, it is sounding like a joke. How do you think normal Americans who've spent three years hearing about Joe Biden's corruption and understanding that Joe Biden probably cheated his way into office in the first place? How do you think it sounds to them when they hear no evidence? I would suggest that is now something that makes them laugh and reminds them how corrupt everything is, how corrupt the media is, how corrupt these politicians are. That is only a benefit to us. It cannot work indefinitely, and it is not working as well as it worked the last time. And that's true every other time they try it. Now, what happens when they finally get Garrett Ziegler in one of these hearings? Garrett is an absolute hammer. You have heard him on my show before. I have interviewed him on Badlands before. You can find that on Rumble. Look up Chris Paul, Garrett Ziegler, and we talk for over three hours. Garrett knows that information backwards and forwards. He knows every detail of every story. He even knows where most of it is in the report and can cite page numbers. That's how thoroughly his work was done by him. The kid is a savant. I swear he's a genius. His team went through all of this. He himself has testified. He has also worked with these members of Congress. He knows what he is doing. He knows the information. That means the congressmen know the information. The fact that it was not presented yesterday should tell you that they didn't want to present it yesterday. So then it's just a matter of why didn't they present it yesterday? Now, Steve Bannon's conclusion may well be correct. Steve Bannon knows so much more about what's happening than I do. And he has been doing this stuff forever. He is a genius. He also often says things to taunt and intimidate the enemy. And he says things tongue in cheek and he operates from different perspectives. And yesterday he was giving a very specific perspective of frustrated MAGA. And how bad could this be if the regime in the Republican party is actually in control here? So is the regime in the Republican party in control? And I would suggest that no, they are not. I would suggest that yesterday was for show the effect was accomplished. And as all of that settles into the American public over the next few weeks, or maybe even a couple, a few months, as more Joe Biden information comes out, the claims of no evidence, no evidence, no evidence will fail more and more and more. And that will be true when it comes to election fraud and vaccine harms and everything else they've said no evidence about. Now, normie Republicans would think that I'm absolutely crazy. They would say, what do you mean? We are trying to impeach Joe Biden here, and this isn't working at all. How can you think this is anything but an absolute disaster? And the answer is because we're not trying to impeach Joe Biden. And it's not my fault or your fault that these people are idiots. 
They believe that Joe Biden is a legitimate president of the United States of America, and they have been saying that now for three years. If they want to believe that, that is on them. If they think it's not true because of what they see in reality, that's on them. It is true. And as I explained yesterday, it doesn't matter what certain people believe they see in reality. All of us see something entirely different in reality, and all of it's there. It's not like we can't show you and describe it to you and tell you what it means. That's them. That's the people who still are addicted to the central narrative, repeating what they saw on television and trying to make sure that whatever they say about what they believe about existence comports with the television because they are confined to that because they are trying to stay within the party of false decorum and the party of false decorum will kick them out. If they become those dangerous conspiracy theorists, they know where the boundaries are, the boundaries of belief, the boundaries of what they can say. They know where those boundaries are and they will not cross them. So they will not even entertain ideas like these. And that is why after three years of constantly being wrong, they have chosen to continue being wrong. They only want to hear half the possible information. What would anyone expect the result to be? Of course, it's that if you get only half of the information, the chances of you making good decisions are not nearly as high as those who get all the information. It's hard to even think of anything that could be more obvious than that. Now, let me clarify. I don't mean all of the information possible. I mean, the most available information like you have allowed all of the information that could possibly be available to you to come in and just exist as information among other information for your consideration. You have not intentionally blocked out information that you could have received. I am not suggesting that we somehow have a world of perfect information where we could know everything and that a certain set of us does. I'm not suggesting that at all. But if you are intentionally blocking out something like half the information because you think that it is conspiratorial, or that the people communicating it can't be trusted, then you're not considering all the ideas. So the likelihood of you reaching the right answer is diminished in incredible ways, and they will still allow that to happen. Now, the fact that the Republicans who know that they have big guns and know that they have all this evidence did not bring it out yesterday should suggest to you that proving the case yesterday was absolutely not the strategy. And why? Because they're not depending on impeaching Joe Biden. That is not something that can happen. It's not something that will happen. It is not the right thing to happen. I would be stunned if that sort of thing happens. If that's not the goal, then the goal is something else. What could the Democrats and the media have done differently yesterday? Is there anything they could have done differently? Were they going to actually make serious inquiries of the witnesses? Were they going to allow the public to believe through them that any of those claims could possibly be true? Of course they weren't. So what can they do? They can make the claims look untrue as best they can. They can try to discredit the witnesses. They can propose other various claims. They can attack the process. They can try to redirect everything to Donald Trump. And they did all those things. But first and foremost, what they did was claim no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. So that everything the Republicans did and the witnesses said in response would then be deemed no evidence about something for which 
the vast majority of Americans already understand there is evidence. There is a lot of evidence. There is overwhelming evidence. So people are not going to be thrown off the trail of Biden corruption as a result of that hearing. That is people's frustration. That is the concern. But that is not going to happen. No one is going to go from believing that Joe Biden is corrupt and then from that hearing yesterday, go back to saying, oh, man, yeah, I think there really is no evidence. All that evidence that convinced me before, it's just no evidence now. That's not going to happen. See the big picture. The point of all of this is to let the public know what's going on. It is the total inversion of the propaganda system. The propaganda is to convince the public of something that is not true so that the regime is allowed to move forward in its agenda in ways the public would never allow if they were told the truth. That's why the propaganda, that's why the censorship, that's why the fake news, that's why all of it exists. If they were telling the truth, then people would not go along with it. That is why they have to get mass consent for the lie. The awakening process is the unwinding of that. And the way to unwind all of that is to make sure that none of the tricks that foment that consent, that manufacture that consent, continue to work. One of those tricks is the claim of no evidence. That claim is being obliterated through this process. There is evidence. There's overwhelming evidence. People already know it. And when the time is right, the big guns, the hammers will be brought in. That's not what happened yesterday. And it wasn't a mistake. I hope you all have a good weekend. I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!